welcome to the TechLink Health Podcast, an on-demand source for the top trending healthcare topics and insights, delivered by key opinion and emerging leaders and as featured on the TechLink Health app. The healthcare industry is rapidly evolving, so our goal is to connect listeners to the most relevant insights, ranging from digital health to financial well-being to interesting side gigs. For more details, visit www.techlink.health. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the TechLink Health Podcast. I'm Justine Reese, and today's episode focuses on how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way in which consumers interact with essential health services and how this will continue to evolve in the future, particularly as it relates to both preventative wellness routines and critical care. This episode's guest is Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. Hello, Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, whose expertise spans over 25 years as a clinician, educator, thought leader, entrepreneur, and speaker in the specialty of pulmonary and critical care. He is the founder and CEO of E7 Health, whose mission is to revolutionize healthcare by challenging the status quo of medicine and applying business and commerce practices and technology to medical care, all in hopes to deliver the best patient experience while providing the highest quality and service at affordable prices. We all need that. His work has been covered in several media outlets. Wow. Dr. Bakhtari completed an MD from The Ohio State University and a Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship at UCLA. It goes without saying that Dr. Bakhtari has a passion for disrupting the status quo and creating new channels for consumers to access critical care. And we really look forward to getting his perspective. So without further delay, we are excited to welcome Dr. Bakhtari to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having and, me. I'm may so I call honored. you Jonathan? Do you want me to call you please, Dr. Bakhtari? No, no, please. Jonathan's fine. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us today. So to start off, we've been talking and um, we were both saying we probably should have started recording when we started talking earlier because everything that you've told me so far has been fascinating. But give our listeners some background from your own personal brain. Can you take a moment to introduce yourself a bit more detail? Tell us about your journey into this critical care space. Well, you know, what happened was after graduating medical school, I, I went on to get my board certification in internal medicine, pulmonary critical care, and I did that and became a senior partner in our group. But, you know, I just wanted to see if there was more and more. And so slowly I evolved into administrative medicine as a part-time thing and eventually was hired by insurance companies to be their medical director. So I got to work for the insurance company. I worked in obviously private clinical practice. And then I also was assistant clinical professor of medicine at a couple of medical schools. So I got to teach medicine. Then I was hired by hospitals to be hospital administrators or medical directors in hospitals. So I got to see everything from the hospital's point of view, the insurance company's point of view, uh, clinically and from the patient and doctor's point of view, and even from a teaching point of view, how we teach and train doctors and residents and medical students and nurses. And so once I had that panoramic view of healthcare, you know, some of the challenges that patients face in terms of accessing care efficiently and easily and with great quality became obvious. And so our challenge when we opened up E7 Health in 2009 was to see if there was a way we could deliver, especially preventative health and wellness and vaccines and for adults, 
in a way that removed as much of the friction in the system. And really, to be frank, I think one of the biggest friction we notice is that the system and the technology that backs the whole healthcare system is 90% or whatever that number is, is focused on getting insurance reimbursement. You know, if you, if you look at any healthcare technology that's in current use, you know, they're all, we got to be compliant with Medicare. We got to be comply with Obamacare, we got to be compliant, or we got to give them this data. And that's all good and fine. Obviously reimbursements are very important, but if that's 90% of your focus, and then after you get all that done, oh, by the way, we have to make life easier for the provider and for the patient and also focus on quality. You know, what we found is all those things take a back seat. So when people say technology is progressing in healthcare, uh, they they also have a ball and chain that they're tied to, which is reimbursements. So they can only accelerate if they don't disrupt the apple cart when it comes to reimbursement. And what we have found is that really is a hurdle. So we've developed technologies in the last 10 years that really puts reimbursements as a back issue and puts quality and patient experience and provider experience at the forefront. And I think that's been revolutionary. I think very few people, there's nobody who writes electronic health records that their top five priorities are not, let's make sure whoever buys this gets the maximal reimbursement. And so once, once you can push that away, then you could focus on the patient and the provider. Well, that is very key and important. And if that's the mission, I'm so curious to hear how you can actually do that. So tell us about E7 Health and what is new with the approach and how does it help to solve challenges in this existing healthcare system? Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things is we're really a, a technology company masquerading as a healthcare company. I mean, at the core, of course, our goal is to leverage that technology to help patients. But at the core, we write all our own software, our own technology, everything's proprietary. And so that gives us a level of freedom that very few people have. So just to go off on the side a little bit, you know, even the receptionist in our offices can write a note to our software development team about a recommendation. And literally by the end of the week, it'll be pushed live on the software. And the developers of our technology are our staff. We don't have a committee that says, oh, I think we should, you know, add this to the technology. So it's really the people who are like in the trenches of healthcare who are directing the technology growth. And really, there's almost a direct line between the people using it and the people who are developing it with no middleman. So that was pretty revolutionary when we just said, you know what, obviously, you know, we have a priority list and stuff, but almost anything that anybody reasonably points out, we will implement and not like in version, you know, 2.3 in a year and a half, you know, we're talking about that week. And so the goal of this was then to take this technology and just try to see what we can do to eliminate friction. Like for example, we don't have a medical records department because there's no reason if everything gets sent to the patient in their cloud portal simultaneously when the service is being done. I think when someone says we have a medical records department, what they're probably telling you is, you know, we don't give patients everything. You know, what you're saying is so interesting. I just attended an aging and innovation global healthcare summit. And one of the main topics was access patients don't have access to their own healthcare records. And when the time comes that they need something, an emergency happens, you don't have it and you can't get it. Well, Justine, let me ask you a question. If I asked you, pull up 
what you ordered on Amazon a year and a half ago. You're not going to call Amazon and say, hey, can you give me my order from from a year and a half? What? No, that's not how Amazon works. And you could probably tell me what you ordered last July on Amazon. The point is, why can't healthcare be like that? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I mean, so with us, for example, you can go right now and literally create an account at E7 Health. It's like opening an Amazon account. You can password, log in, and then whatever we've ever done for you is there. And you could pull down a PDF of anything we've touched or did for you. If Amazon can do it and they're selling you coffee makers and widgets and, you know, blouses, why can't the healthcare industry do the same? So again, I, I think part of it is they're just so focused on insurance reimbursements that everything else is like a side gig that they're worried about. So if there's so much focus on uh, insurance reimbursement, as you say, which I can completely believe that, the end user is left a little bit lost. How is E7 going to help evolve this technology and maybe aggregate all this information? Is that part of what you do? Yeah. So th this is the most amazing thing. For example, we have corporate clients, literally Fortune 500 companies who are our clients. And because our technology is not beholden to insurance companies, what we do is our electronic health records is truly a glorified CRM. Obviously we have HIPAA and you can't see other people's stuff, but the data is organized like a CRM. So if you have a company and you have 5,000 employees at 20 different locations, we can give you a dashboard so you can access your employees' health records, assuming they give you permission and all that stuff. And you could search, you could say, hey, how many of the people in our Seattle office had the COVID vaccine? How many have not? Or, you know, how many have had the flu shot? How many have not? You know, who should we offer it to? Or, you know, uh, what kind of education have we given? In other words, if your electronic health records is really more of a CRM and you can make custom-made dashboards for any organization that wants it, right? So you can literally say, hey, how many people in my office, you know, got their annual cholesterol this year? And who should we reach out to? Right now, there is no technology that would allow an organization or a company that kind of power. But the reason I believe they can't is because if you look at the major, you know, EHRs, they're not really geared up to solve that problem. And just to circle and finish this point, I don't blame them. I mean, let's say you were a provider and I'm trying to sell you a new electronic health records. And I said to you, well, listen, this will improve your patient experience and your provider experience, but your reimbursements will go down 20%. Your first five questions to anybody coming up to you with a new technology, if you're on the business side of it, is how will this improve reimbursements? And so this is why, you know, people have all these complaints about a healthcare technology, but really at the core, it's not a simple transaction between two people. If you go to Home Depot and buy a hammer, you're on one side of the equation, Home Depot's on the other, you know, what's it going to take to cut a deal? When you're in healthcare, you got the patient, you got the provider, and then you got this third party in the middle, which is the insurance carrier. And now all of a sudden it's not a simple transaction and to reduce friction on that three-way transaction, it depends what's the most important thing. You're absolutely right. And the constantly evolving and changing, I went to go see my regular doctor in December. And when I walked in, they're like, oh, we needed to let you know that we're not in network anymore. 
And that changed like five days ago. And I'm like, well, that's great because it's December and I need to have this appointment. So what am I supposed to do? Right. And oh, there could be an appeal, blah, blah, blah. But there's no communication around this. And I'm excited that your technology is kind of working towards it. I think the question is how, you know, what are the primary drivers for a new health ecosystem, the raising cost of healthcare and accessibility, you know, on a global scale. So when you think about the future of healthcare with regards to quality of treatment and cost, what are your thoughts on the current state and how will this change as we move into the future? Oh, well, I'm, you know, obviously I'm very pessimistic. I got to tell you because it's not good. And as bad as things were, healthcare consolidation is magnifying it. Let me ask you a question. Look at the airline industry. It's consolidated over the last 10 years. Are you getting better or worse service when you got on a plane than you did 10 years ago? Are the meals any better? Is there more leg room? Look at the cellular phone industry. There used to be 10 cellular carriers. Now there's three. Is the wait time at Verizon getting shorter or longer? I mean, when things consolidate, service gets worse. And COVID, I think, has had a huge impact on that as well, just finding workers in any industry. And I can't imagine healthcare is necessarily any better. Yeah, it's not just even workers. It's just companies are buying out doctors' practices. It used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, only 70% of doctors were in private practice. I think it's approaching now only 30. And so probably the doctor you went to, I'm just guessing, is part of a network and somebody's already bought out their practice. And so that level of consolidation, look, there's efficiencies in groups too and being part of a big organizations, but some of the downside, and I talk about this all the time. If you really want to know what your doctor group is really thinking, the easiest way is this. It's so simple. People say, well, how do I find a doctor that cares or how do I find this or that? I say, you know, it's super easy. If you want to know where their mindset is, call their office, just call their office. If you get something like, you know, thank you for calling your so-and-so clinic. If this is a patient, press one. If this is something else, press two. If you need a new appointment, press one. If you need medical records department, press two. If you need to speak to someone about a prescription, press it. And then you hit that. Okay. Thank you for calling. Okay. If this is a new prescription, press one. And when you finally sit through all that, say right now we're busy, leave a voice message. So when you see that, when you call a doctor's office and you get that, what message are they sending you? What are they telling you? They're saying you're in network. We're your provider. You need us more than we need you. You'll figure out a way to get a hold of us. And so I, again, I don't want to, you know, beat up on the whole healthcare industry, but that's why I think E7 health and other people who are not going to be part of those networks, who are going to be independent. Our hope is we can grow nationally and take our technology nationally to challenge some of that. Believe me, when you call E7 Health, we don't even have a prompt. I mean, it, it doesn't even exist. And when we pick up the phone and say, how can we help you? And so I think we want to push the healthcare industry with our technology and our model more towards taking care of the patients and also providing quality. Because I think there can be a disconnect with technology feeling impersonal and how to then make the technology personal. We have to talk a little bit about what we started to speak on before we started recording, which is obviously COVID-19 and vaccinations and that you were very involved with vaccinations long before everybody was massively getting vaccinated for this virus. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and the evolution of that. Right. Right, right. Well, so that's a two-part question. The name of our organization was the Vaccine Center, 
and we changed it in 2017 only because people started to think that's all we did. And of course, we do everything around the vaccines that you would need. And interestingly, we started a model in 2009 providing vaccinations for all sorts of different needs. One, general wellness, employee health, student health, travel medicine. And then we provided every service around that, physicals, laboratory testing, testing for antibodies. And we really focused on adult vaccination. And part of the motivation is even before COVID hit, some of the data in the United States is that we have, and you can find this on the CDC's website, I believe, up to 50,000 vaccine preventable deaths in the United States annually. And this is pre-COVID. And so there was a need to vaccinate adults. Again, for student health, employee health, general wellness, travel medicine. And so we got into that and we did it at the exclusion of primary care or urgent care. So we were not going to see someone whose tummy hurts, refer them to primary care doctor, but we just wanted to focus on adult vaccine medicine. And so in many ways, we were a COVID company before COVID hit. I think we're probably the only company in the United States that didn't have to pivot. Our technology, our vaccine technology. That's such a common word now that every business was doing that. So interesting. What did you do if you were at the forefront as a vaccine center when the vaccines were coming out? Did you get them sooner than other places because you were so set up? Yeah, you know what? Just because of the refrigeration and just the logistics of getting the vaccine, there weren't really opportunities for private industry that often to get involved just because of the way things were set up. But what we did do is we got heavily involved in the testing. We were one of the very first people to roll out a nationwide home saliva test early on in the pandemic. And so companies would order for all, all their employees and individuals would order them and we would FedEx it, they would FedEx it back. And, you know, we'd get the response in, in two, three days later. So early on in the pandemic, we actually had the technology and the software to set that up where we could get delivery of the kits because our software was already geared up for testing. We did antibody testing for hepatitis A, measles, mumps, and rubella, chickenpox. I mean, we were doing titers and testing for STDs and we were in the testing business. And then we rolled out one of the earliest COVID antibody tests. So our patients could come in even before the vaccine was out and check for their antibodies, see if they've already been infected. So we were really in the forefront of providing testing both at home and at the workplace and nationwide. Well, I'm sure you were very busy. You know, I got to give my staff a lot of credit. I give them so much credit. It's such a dynamic group that they were able to connect a lot of pieces together to make that work. Well, on that note, one point of view with the TechLink Health Initiative is that the interoperability of technologies, data, and people will shape the landscape of the future. And I'd love to hear your point of view on interoperability and what devices or technologies will help to advance these efforts. That was the big topic of conversation at this conference I just attended. Where does E7 Health fit in, in regards to interoperability? You know, we're at the mercy of other people's technology, so that's a little bit limiting. But I can tell you, even like with that COVID rollout, we did API integrations with our fulfillment center that, you know, shipped the packages out. We did API integrations with FedEx and we did API integrations with the lab and getting the results back to our portal and then getting to the patient or to the company. Then we would integrate with companies so they could get their results. And so we do our best and we could do it in our sleep integrating. We haven't really met any organization that we couldn't integrate with. We integrate with major labs. I think the challenge 
is for people to remove friction and barriers to integration so we can be a larger ecosystem. But we've really addressed the problem when you come to our clinics, you wouldn't even know our software front faces everything. So when you walk in, we don't give you a clipboard and have you fill stuff out. When you make an appointment, we send you a link, you fill everything out. So when you come in, we don't have paper in our clinic. So it really blows my mind where I've had people tell me what amazing electronic health records and technology they have in their clinics. But when you still walk in, they give you a clipboard. I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? You and I have two things in common. One is our fathers are doctors or we're doctors. And I'm sure, you know, when you walked into his office, my father was a radiologist and I worked in the office. That was like my summer job developing x-rays. But, you know, the rooms full of files, which, like you said, are still in existence in a lot of doctor's offices. It's so hard to change that model. And the other thing we have in common is the idea. I bought a franchise a long time ago. It was a marketing franchise. Didn't work out great. But I love the idea of having a system in place that is replicable. And I believe that is the mission of E7 to help aggregate this. This is the biggest issue is not having access to health records and trying to track them down. And like you said, calling my son ended up in the ER a few weeks ago for something and he's fine, but he didn't know enough to ask for his x-rays or his lab tests or whatever. And it would be great to have that. I mean, but if, again, if all that ER had to do is have you create an account, literally, this is how easy the technology is. A lot of times when you come to our clinic, by the time you go into the parking lot and sit in your car, you can open up your app and see what we just did for you. It's there. But again, I don't want to go back to my original point, but that ER has no incentive. There's no financial upside to do that. It doesn't really increase their reimbursements for Medicare or from your insurance company. So if the financial incentive in healthcare technology is to make the insurance company happy and everything else takes a backseat to that. And look, I'm not saying there's been no progress. It is easier than it was five, 10 years ago. But look, if Amazon is kicking our rear end in accessing data, that should tell you something. It does tell me a lot. And I love to hear more about how you guys are working to integrate this system. What do we do? <laughs> How do we make it better? And it seems like you're on the forefront of trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, our goal is to set up a parallel universe. One of the things you said, I think you were referring to scalability. One of the things that's cool about our technology, it is scalable. Our current backbone of our technology could handle millions of users and hundreds and hundreds of locations. And we spend a lot of time and energy in making our technology scalable so we can grow it. The best way to change things is to provide a better alternative, create a better mousetrap. You know, I don't think the cab industry was ever going to change unless Uber came along. I'll give you a funny, funny story. I remember uh, one time my mom was visiting me before Uber and I called and she was home and I was actually at the hospital, but she was going to go catch a plane to the airport. I called the cab company and I said, Hey, you know, would you be able to pick up my mom? You know, and this is the address. And the Gap company says, you need to put her on the phone. I'm like, well, no, she's not with me. <laughs> and like, no, we need to talk with the person. So obviously, what does that tell you? That tells you we have no competition. We're going to come up with these crazy rules because <laughs> we don't care because you don't have a choice. And I use that analogy to say, how do we change things? The way to change things 
the way to put the cab companies on alert is to have Uber come along because begging and pleading for them to change is not a winning strategy. So do you feel like then the Uber of the healthcare industry are the hospitals that are taking initiative and have apps? I'm in Los Angeles and I have a lot of my doctors at Cedar sinai and I do all my follow-ups and everything there. And they have, I think it's called the CS Link. You know, I seem to have more access now with that. That was new this year for me with them. So are you finding more hospitals and more healthcare systems willing, eager to do this? Yes. I mean, to be totally honest with you, yes, Cedars is doing a great job. I'm familiar with Southern California. You know, I went to UCLA, so I know UCLA is doing a great job. So these healthcare systems are doing a great job and it's much better than before. But if you need to leave that system or that ecosystem, you know, let's say you did want to go to UCLA, which is right down the block from Cedars, you know, what would happen then? And I think, yes, so within that ecosystem, it is getting better. Is it still patient first technology? Not really. Uh, It's better than what it was before. But yes, you're seeing incremental improvements in technology, of course. But what we like to see is sort of an agnostic improvement in technology where if you were in New York, how could you transfer all that information? You know, the story I was telling about my son, he was not here. He was not with me. I was not with him. And he'd never even been to the ER on his own before he's 18. So he didn't know to ask for things. And then I'm like, well, we might need this information down the road. And it's going to be a a process to get it. Obviously, they're not going to give it to me. And it just opened up this whole idea. And at this healthcare conference, a woman, a wonderful woman, a doctor actually told the story about her husband having a heart attack and not having the things they needed and literally never getting them. He ended up being okay. But just what could have happened for the end user. This stuff's really fascinating. I'm so glad you're doing this. Um, So what are some final recommendations for people interested in staying connected to the next wave of innovations within the critical care space? Well, you know, I think what we're doing and what other people are doing in this space is really the next step. I think we need to come up with an agnostic approach to healthcare technology that doesn't, is not system-based like you suggested. And we need patients to really understand that they need ownership of their data and that it's accessible some way or shape or form. You know, like with our technology, you can go and literally download everything we ever did for you. Even if you didn't want to just log in, you would have it. You could put it in a Google Drive. You could do whatever you want with it. It's yours. And I think once we see that sort of agnostic uh, access that people can have, I think that's the next level. But like you suggested, we've made tremendous inroads. I give Cedars a lot of credit and UCLA a lot of credit. They've done a great job. I've seen some of their stuff and uh, yeah, it's really very nice. I think there is the next step, which is just give the patient all the data and it's theirs. They own it. They should have it. And then, you know, just to follow up on it, it goes also beyond just having your own electronic medical records. How easy is it to make an appointment? For example, we have an online appointment system where you can make an appointment and often get seen the same day and get your results the same day. We have a lot of instant stuff. And I think it's that whole user experience where you work for the patient and not the other way around. And not that they're a captured audience. Oh, they're in my network. Where else are they going to go? And I think having that change in mindset. The last thing that what our technology does is the quality component. For example, let's say you were supposed to get your COVID vaccine, your second one, and you show up one day too early. Our system will actually not allow the medical person to give it to you. It'll flag it and say, stop. 
And, you know, just stuff like that, where you reduce medical errors, you provide improvement in technology. So technology is not all about just having access to your record. It's improving quality, Im improving the user experience, you know, not getting an 11 page clipboard when you walk in, being able to make the appointment on the phone and literally drive there and be seen. You know, these are the revolutionary things that we're talking about. This is great stuff. Is there anything else? How do we stay in touch with you, first of all? And tell us about the upcoming evolution of E7 Health that we should keep our eyes on. Yeah, well, we're feverishly working on our technology. Uh, you know, our, our next thing is to really develop an ecosystem that can connect to almost anything in any lab and then to grow regionally and then hopefully nationally. So that's what we're trying to do with our technology. Yeah, and if they want to reach out to us, they can go to E7 Health, my website, bakhtarimd.com. We also have a YouTube show that we talk about these kind of stuff. Again, Bakhtari MD on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Uh, so yeah, there's many ways to get a hold of us. And if anybody wants to learn more, just send us a quick email and we'll be more happy to engage. Just out of curiosity, are there any books right now that you find are particularly, you know, prescient to the subject matter that you're reading, fiction or nonfiction? You know, I just had my staff read a book. And this goes not only to our topic, but I think part of the reason we've been so successful is we have such an amazing organization. I like to take credit even for 1% of what we've done, but I can't. It's my great staff. <laughs> it starts somewhere. It starts yeah, somewhere, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. But um, read a great book. It's called Tribal Leadership. And it's all about making other people in your organization great, not just you great. And a lot of the leaders in my organization already exhibit that, but that's what we mentored uh, on to, to people coming into our organization, that we're all in it to win it and we're all in it for the same reason. And so that's the most recent book we've been focusing on for my leadership group. And I think if you want to have a healthy organization, uh, it starts out with not just having great people, but people who make other people great. And I did see on your website, you know, one of your main goals appears to be helping people. And that is a wonderful thing. And especially when we can combine the humanity with the technology. And I think that's, that's wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us today. And we will be in touch. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. TechLink Health is a healthcare advisory platform for consumers and organizations to stay informed with the latest insights while connecting with healthcare experts for telehealth, e-consults, and consulting services. For more details, visit www.techlink.health.